This is Unfilter, episode 164 for October 28th, 2015. Fox News alert to kick it off because this is breaking happening just now. An unmanned blimp is on the loose. Fighter jets called in now to monitor the situation after the Zeppelin, that's the name of this, you can see it pictured right there, known officially as the longer named Joint Land Attack Cruise Missile Defense Netted Sensor System or JLENS, it broke free from its tether at the Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. So the JLENS is now making its way to Pennsylvania. If you see it, witnesses are being told to keep their distance and to call 911. Welcome to Unfiltered Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that hopefully is distracting you from all of that TV that you really shouldn't be watching. I think there's actually been some studies that show it's scientifically true you shouldn't be watching. I'm the slightly sick-sounding host today, Chris. Sorry if I sound a little different. I'm fighting a cold, but I'm in, like, mid-part in the cold, and I'm doing better than I normally do at this stage. We'll see if I have a voice by the end of the show today. It should be a good challenge. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to start with CISA, which is a very interesting story, which is... Being, which is really being sort of uh, covered as a information sharing bill. Oh, CISA is an information sharing bill. It needs to. It needs companies to share information on cyber attacks. In fact, it even has. Uh, it even has information sharing in the name. However, uh, by the uh, end of our first segment this week, I think it's going to be pretty clear and very obvious why it is not a sharing bill of any kind. It is absolutely a surveillance bill. It is absolutely a surveillance bill. Absolutely. And I think after today's episode, you won't have any question either. And it's really clear and concise why. And trust me, you'll be able to repeat it. So you say, no, it's a surveillance bill because of this reason. And there'll be one, two, three, boom. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to move into our typical coverage, as it has become now, of the uh, the overall terror terror category. And there's been an interesting narrative developing this week. One around uh, the first combat death in uh, the U.S.'s fight against ISIS and the FBI's director's concern that uh, social media is the new devil and their their chase of 900 active ISIS investigations in the U.S. We'll discuss that a little bit, plus the U.S. going on boots on the ground in Syria and Russia and the U.S. coming to some agreements in Syria as well. And then we'll get to some China stuff, some hill dog stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. She had her big hearing. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to end it with, well, actually what I teased in the intro. We'll end on that. So quite a bit of stuff today. So let's start with CISA. This is really of most personal importance to me this week, and uh, I want to start covering this. Our first clip takes us to that direction. The Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act, or CISA, cleared another hurdle today as the Senate voted 83 to 14 for cloture, swiftly bringing debate surrounding the controversial bill to an end. Co-sponsor of the bill, Senator Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina, says a vote will now take place on amendments to CISA next week. Joining me to discuss the bill is legal and media analyst Lionel of Lionel Media. Thank you so much for joining me on this. What is your assessment of this bill to begin with? Some call it uh, faux cybersecurity. It's cl- I'll stop right here. We don't, we don't need his analysis. I can just tell you very quickly and concisely because I've been looking at this a lot. Uh, I probably should save my voice and let them do it, but uh, <clears throat> it is very simple. It came out of the Senate Select Intelligence Committee, headed by Dianne Feinstein. It literally was created by the intelligence community. 
That's that's your first that's your first number one point right there. If you need if you understand how these things are created, so think about this. There is already an existing some there is already an existing cyber information sharing agreement in place ran by the DHS today. Did you know that? Essentially what this bill does already exists today. And what this bill is doing will also run be run by the DHS. But it's not coming from the DHS. It's not coming from it's not coming from the Bureau of Businesses. It's not it's not coming from well actually it is coming from a business. We're gonna talk about that too. But it isn't coming from like big, big industry giants. It's coming from the Intelligence Committee, and it's being backed supposedly by Facebook, although that's not super confirmed. Essentially, the link to Facebook and CISA is that Facebook does have a lobbyist who works with the Intelligence Committee working on, quote-unquote, cyber issues, and CISA bill is under the category of a cyber issue. So the link to say Facebook is tentative, but it does look potential because here's the big thing about CISA. It indemnifies companies for sharing information with the federal government. You already knew that. Everybody knows that. That's what. That's the big talking point that everybody's kind of kicking around. Now, that's actually kind of a big deal, especially for com- especially for companies like Facebook, right? Uh, and uh, and uh, companies that uh, have to constantly turn over their data to the government. But here's the thing. This is why it's actually a surveillance bill, not because of that indemnification stuff. And yes, the grounds to hand over the information are weak. Uh, cyber reconnaissance. If they suspect somebody's doing cyber reconnaissance, that could be a port scan. That's enough reason to hand over the data. If they think there's been a hacking, if there's been any kind of malicious activity, or if they have any reason to suspect cyber activity, you know, anything like that, really, it's, it's that vague. They're allowed to hand over the information. Well, that's going to happen constantly. Companies like Facebook, I can't even imagine how many times a day they get scanned. But this is the key part that not a lot of people are covering. So just to bring it back, remember... It's being it's literally was originated by the Intelligence Committee. It came out of the Intelligence Committee Select Committee being headed by Diane Feinstein and Burr. That is like the number one thing. That's where it originated from. But the number two thing is that it does the indemnification for companies. And the number three thing is that it also allows the federal government to share that information that they collect through these different companies with anybody else in the federal government. Anybody any department like the IRS, any individual, even contractors of the federal government can have access to that data and there is an indemnification chain all along the way. Nothing anybody can ever do as a, as a, as a person who was, whose information was taken. Yeah, that could be including you know, drug administration, gun administration. Of course, obviously, obviously. That's the huge part about CISA. Right there. That's why it's a surveillance bill, because it really kind of nicely ties knots in all of the existing legal loopholes that our intelligence agencies are using to surveil the, the, the domestic communications on the Internet right now. That's still happening. Where they're sucking up the whole Internet using PRISM. All we got changed was the metadata stuff for the phone companies. Now the phone companies are holding on to it for us. Yeah, great. Good job. So this is, a, this is a surveillance bill because it normalizes all of those loose ends and allows the different federal agencies and, and even contractors and employees access to this information all with, that's fine, no, 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 no risk. That's why CISA is a huge deal. And, and, and then also, there have been independent studies run by groups that looked at, and I covered this more in uh, Tech Talk today with the actual exact numbers because this is off my head. 
but looked at something, uh, you know, a, a, a great magnitude of quote-unquote cyber attacks that have happened recently. Just a huge amount of them. They went through all of the reports, all of the information about them, and conducted a massive study. And they concluded in this study that none of the attacks would have been prevented with more information sharing. It's not about information sharing. This is going to change nothing. It change if you have any if you have any experience with with hardening a, with a, with hardening a network and protecting an important network. Think about this. This changes nothing. It does nothing. And now the only thing I'm curious to see is will the relentless relentless stories we've been hearing about cyber 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 since these different CISPA and different versions of this have been working their way through the system. It's just been nothing but relentless coverage of cyber. Now that they're finally getting there, now that they're going to, now that it's about to finally pass, is, are we finally going to shut up about cyber? Or has it now become such a money machine we're just going to keep? Because I've long suspected that a lot of this constant cyber, cyber, cyber coverage we're hearing all the time is because we're trying to push the agenda and the narrative that we are really, really outclassed and we have, the federal government has got to scramble and have some sort of response. And then, of course, it just seemed to be happening right when CISPA and CISA and all these things were trying to make it through the system. It's just, it was just an interesting timing, I thought. But I have I had doubt that it's going to go away now. Uh, so because let's, let's, let's talk about uh, – there is uh, – there's a lot more to CISA, and uh, you can go check out Tech Talk today if you want to go there. But I want to show you sort of why I, why, why I cringe, why the people that are running the show up there make me cringe. Each incident that involves perceived or actual misconduct by police that's captured on video and spreads around the world bends this line this way. Each incident that involves an attack on a member of law enforcement bends our line that way. This is James Comey. uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Comey, uh, the director of the FBI. And he's talking about how uh, people sharing videos of of police abuse on social media are bending the people's perspective. And to me, it almost feels like the subtext of this is he's freaking out because he's losing the propaganda war because that's his big tool. He's the, this is the director of the FBI, and he literally sounds like he's kind of going bonkers about this. I have seen those lines arcing apart in a lot of different ways. I actually see an example and a demonstration of that arcing through hashtags, right, through the hashtag Black Lives Matter and the hashtag Police Lives Matter. Of course, each of those hashtags and what they represent adds in a voice to an important conversation. What is that conversation exactly? So each of those hashtags adds an important voice to that conversation. So he's literally saying each tweet from every stupid person on Twitter that puts a stupid hashtag in their tweet is an important voice in a conversation. Well, what is that conversation from his perspective as a director of the FBI? I would think that would be the public narrative, the public view of the police force. I would be what I would think he'd be talking about. But each time somebody interprets hashtag Black Lives Matter as anti-law enforcement, one line moves away. And each time that someone interprets hashtag Police Lives Matter as anti-black, the other line moves away. He makes it sound like he's literally freaking out about every single tweet. Like he has no concept about reach on Twitter. He has no concept about how many followers somebody might have to have before they have any kind of influence. I mean, this guy literally sounds like he is getting constipated over every single hashtag. 
I actually feel the lines continuing to arc away and maybe accelerating, incident by incident, video by video, hashtag by hashtag. And that's a terrible place for us to be. And just as those lines are arcing away from each other, and maybe, just maybe in some places, because those lines are arcing away from each other, we have a crisis of violent crime in some of our major cities in this country, and in those cities in some of our most vulnerable neighborhoods. So his logic is because of hashtags and the use of the, the narrative that is changing, that's causing the violence to go up. Not the economic situation, not, not that, not the fact that an entire generation is being completely screwed. Not that, no. No, it is. <laughs> you know what? It's got to be. It's got to be the hashtags. Incident by incident, video by video, hashtag by hashtag. And that's a terrible place for us to be. And just as those lines are arcing away from each other, and maybe, just maybe in some places, because those lines are arcing away from each other, we have a crisis of violent crime in some of our major cities in this country, and in those cities in some of our most vulnerable neighborhoods. He comes across to me as a politician who is scrambling to justify why crime rates are going up under his watch, and he seems like somebody who's really disconnected from the reality of the situation on Twitter. Uh, it seems like a really easy justification. It's a good boogeyman. Um, and it also it sort of neatly also justifies all kinds of public surveillance of Twitter and things like that. Uh, it just to me, like, it, it just, it feels so, it feels so hollow, like such a hollow attempt to, uh, to shift the blame. Not, not blame it on the fact that so many different populations now don't feel represented at all. Not, not, not that. Not, not the economic problems that we're going through. None of that. Don't blame it on any of that. No, blame it on hashtags. You know, there's, those hashtags are, there are people behind those hashtags. There are people that are upset that are tweeting. And then there are people that are getting motivated. The, the premise is so shallow, I almost don't even feel like it deserves any more time. It, 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 really, is, it really is ridiculous. But that's the guy that runs the FBI. I just don't know what to make of that. I also don't know what to make of this. Uh, we, uh, we haven't really got a chance to cover this story yet, and it's a good place to uh, kick off on our uh, Middle East coverage this week. Today, we expect to learn the name of the first American killed in combat against ISIS. He died on Thursday after a daring raid near Kirkuk in northern Iraq to free prisoners who were facing execution. This is the first United States combat death in Iraq since 2011. Margaret Brennan is at the Pentagon with new details of this deadly mission. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Well, the raid was led by Kurdish commandos with help from elite U.S. special operators, including Delta Force commandos. It was the first time in the fight against ISIS that American soldiers were confirmed to be on the battlefield in Iraq. The raid was launched after U.S. intelligence spotted ISIS fighters digging mass graves inside a prison compound in northern Iraq. ISIS had planned a large-scale execution following their morning call to prayer. Just hours before the killing was to begin, five American helicopters with 30 U.S. Special Operations Forces and Iraqi Kurdish commandos landed inside the heavily guarded ISIS prison. The troops stormed the compound and, in an exchange of gunfire, killed around two dozen ISIS fighters. The American serviceman was fatally wounded. The first U.S. combat casualty since the fight against ISIS began. Now, this has been a really interesting uh, show to watch, a sideshow is to watch the uh, administration have to admit that uh, there was uh, active combat 
Um, it, it was fascinating. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but this was this is actually kind of a big moment. This is this. I'm going to play it back just so that way you don't catch you don't miss it. ISIS fighters. The American serviceman was fatally wounded. The first U.S. combat casualty since the fight against ISIS began. The commandos rescued around 70 hostages, including more than 20 Iraqi soldiers. It was the first time that Kurdish forces had asked for U.S. help on a rescue mission. In recent months, Islamic State militants captured a number of their fighters. But surprisingly, none were among the freed hostages. Most were local Iraqi villagers. The raid itself raised questions about President Obama's vow not to put U.S. soldiers back into combat in Iraq. But Pentagon spokesperson Peter Cook said the Special Operations Forces were only assisting the Kurdish fighters. <laughs> in yeah. that support role, they are allowed to defend themselves and also uh, defend uh, partner forces and to protect against the loss of innocent uh, life. So just to, get, just to get that clear, in the support role, they're allowed to defend themselves and defend their partner forces. So it, it literally sounds like... Because these guys are playing politics, these service members have to go in and get shot at first, and then they're allowed to do whatever they want. Could you imagine? Because they know know that going in. They know that because obviously they know what the situation is. So how how brave. I don't even want to touch the doorknob when I think I'm going to get shocked. And these guys, I've got to go in there knowing that they got to get shot at first simply because these bureaucrats back in Washington don't want to actually call the combat. They want to call it a support role. And so they have to play semantics. Only assisting the Kurdish fighters. In that support role, they are allowed to defend themselves and also uh, defend uh, partner forces and to protect against the loss of innocent uh, life. Now, the Americans were not supposed to engage in the assault, but that changed after ISIS pinned down the Kurdish commandos in a very heavy firefight. Nora, the U.S. serviceman was killed after he intervened to help. All right, Margaret, thank you so much. Yeah, that is uh, unfortunate. Um, And it was... uh it was a bit awkward this week around that. Well, in case the original message from the Department of Defense was not clear, here's a little more from Pentagon spokesman Peter Cook and Defense Secretary Ash Carter. Listen, yesterday and today. This was a, a unique circumstance. This was a support mission. It doesn't represent us assuming a combat role. And U.S. forces are not in an active combat mission. It represents a continuation of our advise and assist mission. Again, Barbara, this was... Uh... Don't you just hate these guys? I mean, think about what that means for the guys on the ground. Just these guys are the worst. A support mission? We do not have combat formations there the way we had once upon a time in Iraq. U.S. forces are not in a combat role in Iraq. (sighs) And it went on. All right, so uh, let's stop there. I just wanted to give you kind of a highlight of uh, how ridiculous they were. Now, uh, before we get too much further away from the FBI director, I wanted to mention that uh, 900 active ISIS investigations, while we're talking about terrorism and uh, all of that, let's bring him in and uh, bring pick up that piece. Really stunning admission today from the FBI director, James Comey. He says that the feds now have approximately 900 active investigations across the United States targeting people suspected of supporting the Islamic State. 900 of them according to reporters for the Washington Post newspaper and USA Today. They report Director Comey says the number of those investigations has been, quote, slowly climbing and that ISIS is trying to expand its reach in the United States. Back in February, the FBI director revealed there were ISIS-related investigations in all 50 states. 
Officials have repeatedly said ISIS has been recruiting young American men and women by targeting them on social media. A congressional study last <laughs> month showed that more than 250 Americans have traveled abroad to either join or try to join the Islamic State and other terror groups. Leah Gabriel's here. 900 investigations. That's crazy. Right, Shep. And the FBI director is basically saying that one of his concerns is whether or not he'll have the resources to handle all of those. You know, hearing a number specifically is somewhat new. But as Shep mentioned, we've been hearing the FBI say that that upward trend has been there for some months. In fact, you may remember back in July when the FBI was expressing concerns around the July 4th holiday. I asked an FBI, a former FBI agent, for his analysis. Here's what he had to say. Well, part of this could be because uh, we, we now have, you know, a number of years of experience in dealing with this type of virtual radicalization, of looking for people who may be prone to, to, to being susceptible to this type of uh, uh, radicalization. However, uh, you know, I, I believe that the director is also indicating that this does suggest a, a general increase in the number of these incidents. Virtual radicalization. So are we really just going off of what people tweet about and then making these active investigations? Is that is that really happening? Is, are, are, am I really? I can't even I can't even that boggles my mind. Uh, while we're talking about all of this, uh, let's bring Shep back in. He's got another topic. Dear ISIS, your wish is our command. ISIS, you said from the very beginning, your quest for that caliphate that you want so badly, what ISIS really, really wants is to draw U.S. ground troops into the fight. Well, today is your day. It's official. President Obama is now considering U.S. ground forces into Syria and closer to the front lines in Iraq. U.S. ground forces in Syria and closer to the front lines in Iraq. No way this could be, uh, there's no chance this could be related to the fact that Russia has got involved, right? I mean, we're going up to boots in the ground now. Not only are we going up to boots in the ground, but we're willing to talk to everybody, including Iran, about the situation all of a sudden. In the battle against the Islamic State, the move would mark a dramatic shift in U.S. strategy. This commander-in-chief would be putting boots on the ground for the first time in the war against ISIS, something he said from the very beginning America would not do. Hello, everybody. The Washington Post broke the story, and a senior U.S. official now confirms it to Fox News. That official says the proposed steps include putting a limited number, whatever that means, a limited number of special operations forces on the ground in Syria to work with those so-called moderate Syrian rebels. I want to underscore special operations forces there. And, yeah, I also want to underscore moderate Syrian rebels. That's, those are all key phrases. Those are a limited number of special operations forces on the ground in Syria to work with those so-called moderate Syrian rebels and possibly the Kurdish fighters who say they don't want us. President Obama has repeatedly said he will not put boots on the ground in Iraq and Syria. But the air war against ISIS has failed to stop the group's bloody terror campaign. And now Russia's military action there may have made the president reconsider. Activists today said the Islamic State murdered three hostages in the ancient city of Palmyra by tying them to some of the famous Roman columns and blowing them up. Now, if ISIS gets really lucky... It'll get some American troops to parade before the cameras for a sort of yesterworld snuff flick. Leah Gabriel is here. Pentagon officials Bring are in, saying Leah. exactly what about this massive shift that the president right. promised would never come. 
Well, Shep's secretary. <laughs> the guy, be, I don't know if you noticed, but the guy behind him totally dropped his uh, mouse right as they were coming over. It looked kind of silly. Defense Ash Carter did testify on the Hill today, and he did not say if the U.S. would put troops on the ground in some respect to fight ISIS, but he certainly alluded to it. Take a listen. We won't hold back from supporting capable partners in opportunistic attacks against ISIL or conducting such missions directly. Whether by strikes from the air or direct action on the ground. Mm. Boom. By direct action on the ground. The proposal the White House is reportedly considering could place U.S. troops in a position to assist any potential operations by local forces to free Ramadi from ISIS in Iraq and to take ISIS's self-proclaimed capital back in Syria. Now, meantime, Secretary Carter said the coalition would be stepping up airstrikes with more hitting ISIS's oil infrastructure and high-value targets. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get the new notes here. Hold on, guys. Hold on. We got a new, new, new notes. We're targeting high value targets and oil now. Oh. <laughs> did, did, who gave us that? What? The Russians? Oh. Hmm. What the hell is this? Any potential operations by local forces to free Ramadi from ISIS in Iraq and to take ISIS's self-proclaimed capital back in Syria. Now, meantime, Secretary Carter said the coalition would be stepping up airstrikes with more hitting ISIS's oil infrastructure and high-value targets through improved intelligence. Improved intelligence. They just blamed it on the CIA again. Oh, man, that's got to piss them off. Of course, the decision to have U.S. forces serve in some capacity, like what we're talking about now, would require President Obama's approval. And, Shep, as you mentioned, that would be a major policy change. So we know that talks are coming surrounding what to do about Syria and how ISIS relates to it. And we just heard a few minutes ago... Iran is going to be in those talks. Right. The plot thickens, Shep. Those talks are supposed to start back up on (laughs) Thursday. They involve the U.S., Russia, and diplomats from Arab states as well as some European countries. Diplomats from Arab states. Why don't we ever say Saudi Arabia? What is it about protecting Saudi Arabia? I mean, I know oil. I get it. But, geez, let's let's talk about their involvement. Or Turkey. Let's talk about what's – anyways, don't you just think it's a little – Arab states. Arab states. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I want to know. I want to know who it is. And U.S. officials say that. Also, Iran is very interesting, don't you think? uh, Russia actually extended this invitation. Now, this comes just a few days after the Obama administration announced the delay of the planned troop withdrawal from. Russia extended the invitation means it wasn't our idea, which means we don't like the idea. Afghanistan. And after we learned a U.S. special operations soldier died in a raid to free ISIS prisoners in Iraq. A Fox News national security expert tells me Putin's actions in Syria has shaken things up. Hmm. All of these things have been happening in the last several weeks. The United States caught flat footed and and really as if we had been not just pushed out of the Middle East, but dumbfounded about what our role was in the Middle East. So I think what you're seeing in the last couple of days. I like how Russia conducting airstrikes against terrorists in Syria means all of the things that she just said. Uh, I think all of those things that she just said have been the case for a long ass time. I don't think it's just because Putin is bombing uh, some terrorists in Syria is an an attempt by the administration to get back in the game. Back in the game. Now, a key point of contention will be what what Bashar al-Assad's role would be at the end of all of this, Shep. Of course, Russia and Iran on completely opposite sides of the table from the U.S. on this. U.S. says Assad must go. Here in our proxy war. Leah, thank you. Assad must go is still the line uh, that uh, we are continuing to push forward. Assad must go. Uh, And if you wonder why that is, well, then... uh, 
I urge you to check out the back catalog of The Unfilter Show. It is a listener-supported show, patreon.com slash unfilter. And uh, we've been covering this since the very, very beginning. And uh, I want to keep moving in the direction of uh, Russia now. Speaking of airspace and deals, well, uh, well, some people, are, there's, there's some progress. It's just not what McCain wanted. The Pentagon agreed to Russia's demand not to make public details of the joint agreement on how to prevent U.S. and Russian pilots from crashing into each other in the skies over Syria. I actually think this is a step in the very, very, very much right direction. Uh, so this isn't like a no-fly zone deal. This is the deal that came across when uh, a U.S. drone had to be averted uh, because of Russian fighter jets. And so now they've come together. They've come up with – well, they're going to tell you what they came up with. I won't repeat it. They, they've come up with some agreeables. And uh, by the end of the clip, I'll tell you why I think this is a first step in, well, a much, much bigger deal. The U.S. is not revealing how vague the agreement is. Our crews certainly know exactly what a safe distance is, and the obligation is upon uh, the Russians um, to maintain that safe distance. But CNN has learned it does not even specify how far away U.S. and Russian aircraft have to stay from each other. Oh. These protocols include maintaining professional airmanship at all times, <laughs> the use of specific communication frequencies, and the establishment of a communication line on the ground. If there is an incident, a U.S. pilot will have to call the American Command Center in Qatar. The oh, Qatar, huh? Hmm, in Qatar, that's interesting. U.S. will then call Russian counterparts in Syria. But in reality, there may not be time to call. Russian pilots have come as close as 500 feet to American jets in recent days. On Thursday, a Russian aircraft flew within 1,500 feet of two U.S. jets. The American pilots tried calling the Russians on the radio. No answer. The Russians continuing with airstrikes. The skies getting more crowded. The Russians may not be hostile to American pilots, but an Air Force official tells CNN the last thing any of us wants is a mid-air collision, and that is the biggest concern. <laughs> If there's a close approach between any type of aircraft and another aircraft, uh, sometimes it's too late for those aircraft to visually identify each other and then move apart. There you go. So I, here's what I'm hoping, is I'm hoping that this is sort of like a, a, a way military to military to, to set up some basics. We start here and then we build on top of this. Because wouldn't it be great if we decided we care a lot more about Asia than we do the Middle East, so let Russia have it. It's in their backyard. Let them have it. They can – or let them help us with it, whatever. Wouldn't that be an amazing development? And then just over time, we slowly, slowly devolved ourselves. Yeah, right. Meanwhile, we're putting more boots on the ground in Syria. So it's kind of tough to say that. But that would be my hope is that maybe we could eventually use this as a stepping stone to more uh, working together. Russia and the U.S. have been, from a military standpoint, great allies in the past. I uh, just I mean obviously the the sort of obvious reference would be World War II. And uh what an amazing amazing help they were, right? So uh, you know, you look where where we where we are now. Why can't we make something work today? It seems like it's in everybody's interest. Uh because Asia is well as our next clip explains, becoming more and more important to us, apparently. Some breaking news here out of the South China Sea. CNN has learned that the U.S. Navy is about to send a destroyer there. Let's go to our CNN chief, national security correspondent, Jim Shudo. Uh, Jim, what do you know? 
Well, Brooke, a defense official confirms that the U.S. Navy is prepared to send a destroyer within 12 miles of China's man-made islands in the South China Sea within the next 24 hours. That that plan has the president's approval. Why is 12 miles key? 12 miles, those are internationally recognized as sovereign waters, uh, but the U.S. does not recognize these man-made islands as... So we're going in. ...as sovereign territory of... It's sovereign territory. We're going in. ...China. They say these are international waters, and this sailing of a Navy ship inside that 12-mile line would be a message from the U.S. Navy saying these are international waters. This is the second time this year that the U.S. Navy would have sent such a message. You may remember, Brooke, that in May of this year, we flew on a U.S. surveillance aircraft, a P-8 Poseidon aircraft. Those images you're seeing right now were taken by that aircraft over those man-made islands. They flew those, that aircraft very close to these islands, again, as a message to say that the U.S. not only does not recognize the seas as being Chinese sovereign seas, but the air above those man-made islands. And, and you may remember that during our trip then, we got a lot of warnings, a lot of angry warnings. We covered that uh, in the show when that happened. And yeah, so, yep, they went and they made the trip. Breaking new details in the showdown between the United States Shikes. and China. This latest rift started when the USS Laysan came within 12 miles of a man-made island in the South China Sea. So going inside the 12-mile area means that you don't recognize the official international water lines of that space. Defense officials say that China's been building these islands. There's 2,000 acres of land there and possible airstrips on those islands. I think they've been photographed as, as airstrips in the strategic edge of that area. Beijing now calls the U.S. moves there illegal with our ships, saying that they will take the steps that are necessary to protect their interests in the South China Sea. You see why maybe uh, we're caring a little bit more about Asia now? There's obviously some things happening there that are to our interest. I mean, we love having the sea, so it just seems like that's a little crazy. Uh, I find it to be a fascinating story, and I'm still developing what I really think about it. I'd love your input, too, unfilter.reddit.com. Any good, insightful commentary or news you see out there about that or any clips? They get posted somewhere, unfiltered.reddit.com. I would really appreciate that. So since we uh, last came on the air, uh, Hillary sat down for her 11-hour Benghazi hearing. And, uh, well, uh, actually, I'll let this all sum it up for you. I don't, why do I need to Good save evening. my voice? Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has stood her ground in the face of withering Republican questioning over her... Withering Republican questioning. Hmm. ...handling of the consulate attack that killed four Americans in Benghazi, Libya, during her watch three years ago. Her answers, her tone, her expressions, all under the microscope, because as much as it is Secretary Clinton testifying before the House Benghazi Committee, it is presidential candidate Clinton who stands the most to lose in a testy and politically charged showdown that has continued into the evening. Andrea Mitchell is covering it for us tonight. I'll let Andrea play a couple of clips, uh, but I'll tell you, so I watched it. Um, I, I, I started watching it towards the end just because I saw on Twitter that she was having a coughing fit. And I was like, they said a little going and uh, what? And so not only did not only did I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, she just she crushed it. She crushed it. I mean, she really crushed it. She she I can't I can't I can't. I mean, I the, she looked she she said something. So uh, not only did she crush it, but and I, you know, I'm just talking purely from a performance standpoint. I don't think her answers were any good. I don't think any new information came out. I think her demeanor and the way she made them look in comparison I think she nailed it, exactly what she needed to do for her presidential campaign. Uh, and uh, But here's why I say she crushed it. 
Because this you don't probably know because I didn't know about because I was I was on C-SPAN looking for clips for the show and I saw live Hillary Clinton at a women's event uh, for, from the Democratic Party. And I was like, what? No way. Because it was like nine in the morning or something like that. So she did an 11 hour session answering those questions and then was at a women's uh, event from the Democratic for the Democratic Party the next morning. Doing a talk about about around nine thirty ten o'clock, uh, and she seemed pretty awake and pretty alive. I was just really impressed by that because tomorrow I'm recording two tech snaps, and then I and I'm going to be exhausted. Okay, I'm going to be exhausted. I, I don't know how she does it. It's I, that was pretty damn impressive. Uh, and I now as far as her answers went, they all sucked. The questions they all sucked. Uh, we do have a few little interesting tidbits we might pull out here, but uh, I'll let Andrew Mitchell do a little bit and save my voice for just a moment. It was supposed to be about Benghazi, but it soon dissolved into bickering. I don't care if you sent it by Morse code, carrier pigeon, smoke signals. What is relevant is that he was sending information to the Secretary of State. Would the gentleman yield? I'd be happy to, but you, you need to make sure the entire record is yeah, correct, and Mr. That's what, and that's exactly what I want to do. Well, then go that's ahead. While they argued, the star... So they were arguing about making the email records public, uh, which has been going back and forth if that should happen. Uh, and, you know, I realize there's a very legitimate reason why Hillary Clinton specifically asked this to be in public. Not so that she could put on a performance. I mean, <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably number two. But number one, because it's in public, they can't ask real questions. Like, they can't ask, why was there a CIA annex? Why, you know, they can't ask all the, they can't ask the really hard questions because it's in public. It was a genius move on her part. Witness tried to stay above the fray, unlike in 2013. What difference at this point does it make? This time, Hillary Clinton was poised, practiced, pushing back with put-downs. I wrote a whole chapter about this in my book, Hard Choices. I'd be glad to send it to you, Congressman. I'm sorry that it doesn't fit your narrative, Congressman. This is one of our weaker answers we might get to if we have time. I can only tell you what the facts were. Now, I know that's not the answer you want to hear. At other times, her face said it all, laughing off unwelcome suggestions, showing impatience, irritation, or scorn, reflecting days of preparation at home, sent off to battle this morning by her husband, Bill. You know, that guy, uh, Bill. Uh, Bill, what's his... Uh, Bill something, you probably heard of him. The Republicans were also armed and ready. Happy to bring breakfast in, but when we ask a yes or no question, it'd, it'd sure be helpful if we could get to the answer. That's pretty, it wasn't a trick question at all. They were concerned that is the White House and the amount of credit that you were getting as opposed to the amount of credit the president's getting. That's true, isn't it, Madam Secretary? Look, the president deserves the lion's share of the credit. He and was why the- is the White House uptight that you're taking the credit? And a fierce dispute over a controversial former Clinton political aide, Sidney Blumenthal, barred by the Obama White House from working at her State Department. Remember how I said he was going to come up in the hearing, like, what, months ago? Yeah. But sending private advice about Libya to her private email account. And Madam Secretary, he had unfettered access to you. I don't know what this line of questioning does to help us get to the bottom of the deaths of four Americans. I'll be happy help to tell. Us I'll to be happy better. to help you understand but, that, Madam Secretary. Hillbot calls on standard answer 132. It was Clinton who spent the most time talking about the victims of the attack. You know, I would imagine I've thought more about what happened than all of you put together. I've lost more sleep than all of you put together. Information officer and Air Force veteran Sean Smith. CIA officers Tyrone Woods and Glenn Doherty, 
and Ambassador Chris Stevens. And CIA officer, Ambassador Chris Stevens. I stood next to President Obama as Marines carried his casket. So you know what we do know from the hearing is we do, we do know for a fact that Chris Stevens was absolutely aware of the security condition and Chris, and Chris Stevens didn't ask to be removed because he was part of the CIA operation. Just my personal little belief. Now let's keep going. Let's get some more details from Hillary Clinton's testimony before the House Select Committee on Benghazi and some apparent contradictions. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge is here tonight. Good evening, Catherine. Uh, Mrs. Clinton said today there was never a recommendation to leave Benghazi. Well, that's right, Brett. Mrs. Clinton testified today there was a certain level of comfort with the high threat level and the operation was not in jeopardy. There was never a recommendation from any intelligence uh, official in our government, from any official in the State Department, or from any other uh, person with knowledge of our presence in Benghazi to shut down Benghazi. But this classified cable, first obtained by Fox News, shows there was an emergency meeting in Benghazi three weeks before the 2012 attack. And at that meeting, State Department and CIA personnel discussed suspending operations for the consulate and moving State Department personnel in with the CIA where security was high. Quote, I just want to underscore that. They had a meeting ahead of time saying maybe we want to move them into the annex for a bit. CIA suggested that mission personnel could co-locate to the annex if the security environment degraded suddenly. In the longer term, we believe former co-location with the CIA will greatly improve our security situation. Former, as in let's make it official, co-location with the CIA. Because you know what? We're basically the same operation. The State Department has always been reluctant to confirm the emergency meeting took place, and the classified cable was one of the last documents provided to the Senate Intelligence Committee investigation, Brett. So were there plans to make the consulate or the facility permanent in Benghazi? Well, today Mrs. Clinton gave the impression that the U.S. operation in eastern Libya was only temporary. There was not a, an active plan for a consulate in Benghazi at any point during this period. That is not what the compound in Benghazi was. It was a temporary facility um, placed there to help us make a determination as to what we would need going forward in Benghazi. But Ambassador Chris Stevens' deputy, Greg Hicks, testified under oath on Capitol Hill about a specific conversation he had with Stevens about Mrs. Clinton's plan. I did tell the uh, Accountability Review Board that uh, Secretary Clinton wanted the post made permanent. Uh, Ambassador Pickering was surprised. Hicks later told Fox News that Stevens had to be in Benghazi that September 11th because of a budget deadline at the end of that month, Brett. Last thing, mm -hmm. Secretary Clinton said today there was a lot of confusion about the attack. Well, the mortar strike on the CIA annex is really the smoking gun evidence that it was premeditated terrorism. Three mortars struck the CIA in under 90 seconds, fired from more than a half mile away. It was a professional hit that required training and planning. It killed former Navy SEALs Ty Woods and Glenn Doherty. They also reported three days ahead of time that they saw people going around and taking pictures like if they were planning an attack. And it nearly blew off the leg of a diplomatic security agent. And today, Mrs. Clinton's email show that she didn't believe herself that a video was responsible for this terrorist attack, Brett. Right. Yeah, she emailed her family that night. Uh, in fact, this clip, this clip covers this. I want to show you a few things here. You're looking at an email you sent to your family. Here's what you said. At 11 o'clock that night, 
Approximately one hour after you told the American people it was a video, you say to your family, two officers were, were, were killed today in Benghazi by an Al-Qaeda-like group. You tell, you tell the American people one thing, you tell your family an entirely different story. Also, on the night of the attack, you had a call with the president of Libya. Here's what you said to him. Ansar al-Sharia is claiming responsibility. It's interesting, Mr. Katala, one of the guys arrested and charged, actually belonged to that group. And finally, and most significantly, the next day, within 24 hours, you had a conversation with the Egyptian prime minister. You told him this. We know the attack in Libya had nothing to do with the film. Oh, it was a planned attack, oh, not a protest. Oh, Let me read that one more time. Yeah, go ahead, please. We know. Not mm-hmm. we think. Okay. Not it might be. Right. We know the attack in Libya had nothing to do with the film. It was a planned attack, not a protest. State Department experts knew the truth. You knew the truth. But that's not what the American people got. No. And in fact, I remember that so well because we went on the air and we said there's no ways because of a video. And we got so many emails in. You guys are a bunch of conspiracy nuts. You guys are absolutely crazy. Of course, it was because of a video. Look at this thing. You guys just don't understand all of this stuff. Assuming that we're racist, like just the worst stuff that came into the show. Because we went on the air and said, that's not a video. That's not because of a video. Well, there you go, right there. Hillary Clinton didn't think it was because of the video, even though she was out saying it was because of the video. And that, that is, it just shows you right there that it doesn't matter who it is. They're out there saying one thing when they know something completely different. She was emailing officials something completely different while talking about it. And, of course, her answer to this question is not so good. And again, the American people want to know why. Why didn't you tell the American people exactly what you told the Egyptian prime minister? Well, I think if you look at the statement that I made, I clearly said that it was an attack. And I also said that there were some who tried to justify it on the basis basis of the video, Congressman. And I think it's... But but, but, real quick, calling it an attack is like saying the sky's blue. Of course it was an attack. Well, you know, we want to know the truth. This the statement you sent out was a statement on Benghazi, and you say vicious behavior as a response to inflammatory material on the internet. Not only that, not only that, but she told family members, she told them that you know, look, we know it's because of this video, and we're going, we're going to go, we're going to arrest the people that made the video. We're going to arrest the people. Uh, here, I'll play a little bit Fox of this. Fox News was first to report on September 17th, six days after the attack, that there was no protest at the consulate in Benghazi, and we took a lot of heat for that reporting. Oh, well, we did it the night of, so that's that's cool. That's good, though. You did it six days after? Oh, that's cool. But stuck with it, and in the end, we were correct. Former Navy SEALs <laughs> Ty Woods and Glenn Doherty were killed on the roof of the CIA annex during the third wave of the attack in a mortar strike. And when their bodies were brought back to the U.S., Woods' father met with Mrs. Clinton and took notes about what she promised him. Now, listen to this. Knowing that the night of the attack, she emailed the Egyptian president, she emailed her family, or not the night of the, she didn't email the Egyptian president the night of the attack. She emailed her family. The next day, she emailed the Egyptian president. She knew it wasn't because of this video. But days later, when their bodies come back, she's still t- claiming it's because of the video. Yeah, I hadn't looked at my notes for quite some time, and before I came out here to Washington, D.C., I just, I keep notes, this is like 2012, and I just decided I'd better look at the notes just to review exactly what she said, so I'd have the facts down. 
And uh, let me just read what's written down here. It says, I gave Hillary a hug and shook her hand. And she said, we are going to have the filmmaker arrested who was responsible for the death of your son. Listen to that. Listen to that. Now, would they have? If they if they had gotten away with that stupid, weak video story, if that had really gotten traction, do you think they would have hunted down the people who made it and prosecuted them, even though they knew? How evil is that? That mortar strike on the CIA annex is the smoking gun evidence that it was premeditated terrorism. Three mortars struck the CIA in under 90 seconds, killing Woods and Doherty, and they were fired from more than a half mile away. It was a professional hit that required training and planning. And yet Mrs. Clinton told the survivors, the family members, that she believed it was a video when her own records now show that she didn't believe a video had any connection Mm. to that terrorist attack, Abby. So how about that? Isn't that something? Would she have gone after if they could have? And isn't that like ultimate evil empire? <laughs> it's just, oh, man, hell dog for president, everybody. Woo! All right. So I, I, you've been waiting the entire episode, I assume. You've been sitting back hoping I'll finally cover it because I teased it in the intro clip because honestly, it was the intro clip because, well, this gal looks like she's hopped up on something. Her eyes are huge. And then the video glitches out a little bit and she looks like a skeleton. Uh, well, that's not the main reason I picked it. The main reason I picked it is because this story is absolutely absurd, and I thought it'd be a fun note to end the show on. Fox News alert to kick it off, because this is breaking happening just now. An unmanned blimp is on the loose. Fighter jets called in now to monitor the situation after the Zeppelin, that's the name of this, you can see it pictured right there, known officially as the longer-named Joint Land Attack Cruise Missile Defense Netted Sensor System or J-Lens, it broke free from its tether at the Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. So the- Now, these tethers are supposed to never break. I mean, there's, these things are some serious tethers. Uh, producer Matt did a little research into this tether, and yeah, it sounds legit, but uh, somehow it broke. J-Lens is now making its way to Pennsylvania. If you see it, witnesses are being told to keep their distance and to call 911. National Security Correspondent Jennifer Griffin, live for us at the Pentagon. So, Jennifer, this is breaking right now. It's my understanding that one of these blimps costs... A billion dollars? What else do we know? Well, Gretchen, it's a very serious situation. I just got off the phone with NORAD, and two F-16 fighter jets have been scrambled from Atlantic City. Uh, They are tracking this blimp, which has 16,000 feet of of rope line uh, that uh, attached to it. It is still filled with helium. It is floating, we understand, over Pennsylvania. They are very concerned about whether it will come down uh, over a populated area. Uh, The army at Aberdeen Proving Ground, where this uh, blimp had been moored, uh, put out a press release. But now F-16 fighter jets are tracking it, and they are asking, as you mentioned, for help from the public if they see (laughs) this blimp in the air to call 911, because, again, it's filled uh, filled with helium. Nothing like this has ever happened before in terms of such a large blimp. It's able to monitor, Gretchen, uh, an area the size of Texas. Okay, okay, so now was this moored and somehow it came loose on its own or was it already in the air and lost track of where, where it was supposed to be? No, it it was moored at Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. It's been moored there for some time. This is a device that the U.S. uses to protect the homeland. It essentially can 
monitored for incoming aircraft missiles, um, and it became unmoored. It's not clear how it got loose of its tether, but now it is floating in the air at about 16,000 feet. Maybe somebody at the facility thought the American people needed to know what the hell's watching them. I mean, the size of Texas, you can watch a lot of the U.S. with this thing. And those two F-16 fighter jets are tracking them. Gretchen. Okay. Uh, Do you have any indication, Jennifer, about how they might bring this down or if they want to bring it down? What's the plan? I think right now that is what is being debated here at the Pentagon and with uh, and at NORAD. Uh, the decisions will have to be made as we speak right now. Uh, the defense secretary is in the briefing room here speaking side by side with the Israeli defense minister. That was a pre-scheduled press conference. But decisions have to be made about what to do with this helium blimp that is that is floating. It's filled with military technology. It's, as you mentioned, a very expensive uh, piece of military equipment, and it is, it is floating over uh, Pennsylvania, as far as we know right now. All right. And as you just mentioned, two fighter jets trying to track it. If anyone else has any information, please call 911. We'll continue to visit the story throughout the hour. Jen, thank you. <laughs> They're going to visit it throughout the hour. Uh, as of right now, it uh, is down. It, it landed uh, in a field uh, in some trees. Not really, not much to say about it, actually. Pretty uneventful. Also, as we record right now, uh, the, Re- the Republican debate is going on. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I think there is four of them up on stage right now. Uh, but uh, I will be catching the clips after the show. Producer Matt and I will be looking through that and seeing if there's anything worth note for you. Following the CISA stuff as that develops, absolutely. Unfiltered.reddit.com is where you can go. And I don't actually know off the top. I'm sure there probably is a stream. You could always check online, but... Uh, I instead was doing the show, and I decided not to do that live. I just thought, you know, these debates are just, it's too soon. It's too early. So we'll just watch them from from afar, and then we'll pick out any really good stuff and cover it for you guys. Hey, uh, patreon.com slash unfilter. We could definitely use your support. And when you become a supporter, you get the supporter show, way more show, a lot more clips, expanded content coverage, additional stories like we followed up on the Iran nuke story today in the supporter show. We followed up a little bit on the election stuff as well. And we went inside the U.S.'s ISIS terrorism headquarters in Qatar. That was on the supporter show. And you get access to that when you go over to patreon.com slash unfilter. And then $5 or more. You get access to all of the clips, a lot more things in the supporters. Basically, every single category we covered today, there are additional clips in the supporters sync. So not only do you get way more show, you get the source code to our show, you get the artwork, you get all that stuff, but you also then are helping us do a distributed backup of the people's history, which we appreciate that a lot too. Unfiltered.reddit.com is how you contribute in between shows. Patreon.com slash unfiltered is how you keep us going. And also, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to find our live, crazy, crazy live times. JBLive.tv is where you watch it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Unfilter. And I'll see you right back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>